You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. in your heart and your total being is rejuvenated by revival, by God's Word. You know, Philip didn't only declare God's Word, but he demonstrated God's power by all these miracles. But don't get hung up on the miracles because Philip's basis was God's Word. Signs and wonders, as great as they may be, should draw people to Christ. Signs and wonders cannot save you. They cannot save you. Only Christ can save. People like an entertaining show where they're in awe and wonder about some impressive feat. But as you'll hear today, Pastor Dave wants you to know that people aren't saved by signs and wonders. They're saved by God's Word and the working of God's Spirit in your heart to be saved. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 8 as he continues his message, The Samaritan Revival. The way people respond to God's messenger and the way that people respond to God's message is serious business. In fact, it's so serious, it's a matter of life and death. That's how serious it is. There's a couple things I want to point out here. Really interesting. The first thing is, where did Philip end up? He ended up in Samaria. Of all places, he ended up in Samaria. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 17, there's an account there of the Assyrian invasion of Israel in 721 B.C., During this invasion, the ten northern tribes were carried away into captivity by the Assyrians. During their captivity, many of these people who were carried away intermarried with the Assyrians. And this is where the Samaritans came from. When the southern kingdom, when when the Jews of the southern kingdom in Jerusalem were carried away to Babylon, they did not intermarry. They held pure. They did not intermarry with the folk. So the southern Jews really stuck their noses up and down at the northern tribe. They called them half-breeds. They called them dogs. They hated them. They hated them because of what they did. They hated them. This is one of the reasons why the disciples were so shocked when we get to John 4, when Jesus says, I need to go to Samaria. You need to do what? I need to go to Samaria. But they're half-breeds. They're dogs. Why do you need to go there? See, the Samaritans even built their own temple. They had their own temple for worship. They weren't allowed to worship in Jerusalem. They had their own temple. But that's where the Jews said they had to worship. The Samaritans were also looking for a Messiah. You remember when Jesus met the woman at the well? What did she say to him? She said, we know that when the Messiah is coming, he's going to teach us all things. They were looking forward to the Messiah. They were looking to the one that Moses had forecast of back in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, that the Lord would send another prophet, and him you will hear. The Samaritans were, were believing in that. Remember, the Samaritan woman, after she had this encounter with Jesus, we'll talk about this on Wednesday night, but she ran back, and what did she say? She said to the rest of the Samaritans, she said, come on out and see this guy. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see this man. He told me everything I ever did and everything I know. Could he be the Messiah? 
And they came out, and they looked at him, and they said, now we believe, not because of what you've told us, but we believe because we have seen and heard for ourselves. And that's what we do. We say, come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. And people come, and they look, and they see and hear from themselves, and they believe, not because you believe. They believe because they see and they hear for themselves. The seed was already planted in Samaria, and Philip goes down to proclaim the Messiah to them. I wonder if the Samaritan woman was there. I wonder if she was part of this crowd that that Philip was witnessing to. I mean, after all, Jesus had already sown the seed. Jesus had already been there. He had already talked to Samaritans. Now, Philip was just harvesting what Christ had sowed. He was just in there harvesting. Why did Philip preach Christ to the Samaritans? These half-breeds who were hated by the Jews. Why did he do that? He did that because Jesus had touched Philip's heart. There was no room for this kind of prejudice in his heart. He wasn't racist towards the Samaritans. Philip, being a student of God's word, knew that God shows no partiality. In Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, For the Lord is your God, is a God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality or takes no bribe. Later in Acts 10, verse 34, Peter's going to say, as he sent to the Gentiles, he declares, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. The Apostle Paul declares in Romans 2, 11, there is no partiality with God. And he continues and says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, in verse uh, 23 of 3. There's no partiality in God's unending love. There's no partiality. God loves us all. God has sown his son to everyone. But make make no mistake about it. There's no partiality in his righteous judgment either. There's no partiality when God comes. He will judge on, based on righteousness and righteousness alone. That is the basis on which he judges. You want to be found righteous? Jesus Christ. Those that don't will be judged. Just as in Philip's heart where there's no racism or prejudice, there's no room for racism or prejudice in our hearts. There should be no room. Just as God shows no partiality, we should follow the same path and show no partiality. That means to anyone, rich or poor, black, white, pink, I don't care what, there should be no partiality because Christ has come and died for all. We're all one in Christ, slave, free, Jew, Greek, male, female. We're all one. How many of you How many of you went to Sunday school and sang, Jesus loves the little children of the world? All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Why are we partial? Who are we to decide who does and who does not receive God's word? How dare we hold back God's word from somebody else to think, ah, they won't accept Are you God that you can make that decision? Are you putting yourself in the place of God that you can say, I can't witness to them because I don't like them? Jesus loved the world. We are to love the world. Jesus loved the world so much that he died for the world, died for the sins of us all. So Philip finds himself in Samaria. It was probably not his first choice. But he was a refugee from the persecution. But he doesn't go into hiding. And the second thing I want to point out here is he preaches Christ to the Samaritans. He preaches Christ to the Samaritans. He gets up there and he hurls the coming of Jesus Christ. He didn't preach anything else. And you know what? When he preached Christ, guess what he did? He preached the S word, 
sin. He preached the H word, hell. And he preached the R word, repentance. Yeah, he said all three of them, sin, hell, and repentance. He preached every single one of them. He didn't shriek back. He didn't veil the message. He didn't send out a user-friendly message. Let's all grab hands and sing kumbaya. Can't we all just get along? What a wonderful world we live in. No, he preached Christ and Christ crucified. He preached about hell. He preached about sin. He preached about repentance. He preached Christ. He did not use a user-friendly gospel, what I like to call the gospel. He preached only Christ. How many times has the message been so veiled that you can't even see what it is? The message is so veiled, it's cloaked. It's like, where, what is this message? What are they talking about? Certainly they're not talking about God. And if it's veiled, guess what? It's ineffective because it lacks the power of God. It lacks God's power through the Holy Spirit because it's not based on the foundation that we find in the Gospels. I mean, after all, if Christ was good enough for the apostles to preach, shouldn't it be good enough for us to preach also? If the apostles turned the world upside down because they preached Christ and Christ crucified, why do we hold back? Because you know what? I can't boast in anything that I do or say. I don't have something greater to offer than Jesus Christ. I don't have this esoteric thing in my mind thinking, ooh, you should have what I have, but you can't get it because I'm too far up there. What I have, I give to you. Jesus Christ, the righteous. What I have, you can have. Jesus Christ. He's the one that you need. You don't need me. You need Christ and Christ crucified in your life. Paul thought, thought so strongly about this that he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, he said, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For the necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. If we're not preaching the gospel, woe to us. Woe to us that have been called to be his callers, to be his heralds. Woe to us. The results of Philip preaching can be found in the Word of God. Verses 6 through 8. And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Now this is a revival. All the elements here are a revival. You ever look at the definition of revival? Let me read you the definition of the revival. It's pretty cool. A revival, I've got several definitions here. It says return, recall, or recovery from life to death or apparent death as a revival of a drowned person. It's a return or recall of activity from a state of languor. Languor is weakness or weariness. It's a recall of a recovery of a state of neglect, oblivion, obscurity, or depression. And it's a renewed and more attract, active attention to religion. It's an awakening of the men to their spirits. So a revival recovers a person from life to death, right? It recovers a person from the state of weakness and weariness of body and mind. It recovers a person from neglect, obscurity, and depression. And a revival awakens men to their spiritual concerns. I've just explained to you the born-again process. I just explained to you what born again is like, what born again happens to your life. You were dead once and now you're alive in Christ. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I'm alive in spirit. I'm alive in mind. I'm alive in my body. Jesus calls us who are weary to come. If you have languor in your soul, if you have weariness, if you have worrisomeness, Jesus says, come to me and I will take it. I will take it from you. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Are you burdened with depression? Jesus calls those who have neglected their spiritual concerns. You've neglected the spirit, and Jesus calls you. He calls you to himself, and he cleanses you from sin. He restores your soul. He awakens your spirit, and revival takes place in your heart. 
and in your total being. It starts in your heart, and your total being is rejuvenated by revival, by God's Word. You know, Philip didn't only declare God's Word, but he demonstrated God's power by all these miracles. But don't get hung up on the miracles because Philip's basis was God's Word. Signs and wonders, as great as they may be, should draw people to Christ. Signs and wonders cannot save you. They cannot save you. Only Christ can save. They draw you to Christ. There is never any power. In John 12, verses 37 to 41, the apostle writes this, But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. Because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their ter- heart and turn that they sh- he- I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. There's a common misperception that when a person sees a, mir- a miracle, they will immediately believe. That's a misconception. These people in the olden days, in, in Christ's time, saw many miracles. They saw many things happen before the hours, and they didn't believe. They saw so many miracles, they didn't know what to do with themselves. But we're told, it says, I can't believe. It says they, they could not. So many times in my life, I've been on my knees before the Lord, and I pray out to the Lord, show me, Lord, and I'll believe. Show me, Lord, and I'll believe. And the only thing I get back is, no, 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 no. Believe, and I'll show you. Miracles don't save. Isaiah prophesied that Christ would be despised. He would be rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, but they could not believe. Why couldn't they believe? This is a really interesting statement. They couldn't believe. Therefore, they could not believe. Even though they saw miracles, they could not believe. If we had a great miracle happen right here in the church today, I venture to say some of you would not still believe in Christ. Jesus warns in the Gospels about the unpardonable sin, the continual rejection of the Holy Spirit. Continual rejection of the conviction placed upon your heart. A person can reject Christ so many times that all of a sudden it becomes impossible for them to believe. It becomes that they can't believe. That's what Scripture says. How many times have you been putting off believing in Christ? Each time the gospel message is preached and you don't believe, your heart gets harder. And you get further and further away from God. And it becomes harder and harder and harder to believe. Don't get to the point where you cannot believe. Don't get to the point. Scripture says there was great joy in the city. <laughs> Do the math. Persecution, preaching of the gospel, revival, joy. Works. It works. They were happy that, they were, that there was persecution? Well, yeah, because the word of God was going forth. You read the scriptures a couple months ago when they said that when they clapped their hands and, and counted themselves worthy of suffering for Christ's name? They counted it all joy when they fall into trials and, and, and divers temptations, James says. The people of Samaria, when they believed, they were delivered from physical affliction. They were delivered from demonic control. And most importantly, they were delivered from their sins. No wonder there was great joy. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes, folks, sometimes I get so overwhelmed. I get so overwhelmed when I look at my life. I, went, I look around, I go, Lord, I have you provide for me. 
You care for me. You know every thought I take. You guide me by your Holy Spirit. You've blessed me. You've raised me up to be a pastor. You allow me to teach your word. You allow me to be surrounded with beautiful, wonderful people that I can preach God's word through. You, you, you constantly are with me. You walk with me. And I go, all this is salvation too? I can't stand it. But the main thing is salvation. The main thing is salvation. And I always go back to Luke. I always go back to the story when the, when the, when the apostles came back from... Healing when Jesus sent them out by two. You know, they came back, and I can just see the apostles led by Peter coming in before the Lord, shucking and jiving, high-fiving. Woo-hoo! Cast out those demons. Yeah, praise the Lord. Cast out this one. Praise the Lord. Woo-hoo! They're all having a good time. Jesus said, wait a minute. Don't rejoice at the casting out of demons. Don't rejoice at the lame being healed. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice in the joy of your salvation. Now that one can rejoice in. That one can rejoice in. So the great persecution produced a great revival. The gospel message moved from the Jewish territory into Samaria where the people were part Jew and part Gentile. God in His infinite grace built this bridge between the two estranged people and made them one, one in Christ. Is this not what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the Ephesian church in chapter 2 and verse 11 when he said, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ. Am I reading? No, I'm reading the wrong one. I'm sorry. Verse 14. <laughs> I had 11 written in my notes. Paul says, For he, Christ, is our peace, who has made both one, that's it, and broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the entity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinance, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace. He took the Gentile, he took the Jews, and he made us new, one in Christ, the church. He made us one in Jesus Christ. That's what I was trying to say. Revival started with one person. He wasn't a big shot. He was not even an apostle. As we said, Samaria wasn't even his choice. I'm sure he would have rather stayed in Jerusalem, but persecution drove him there. Persecution. Do you realize, do you know that the Chinese Christian church prays for America daily that we would suffer persecution so that we would be refined in God's fire and that we would grow as they are growing? They pray for us to suffer persecution as they've suffered persecution. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is eternal. It's incorruptible. I don't believe a changed America is going to come from ballot boxes. I don't believe a changed America is going to come from amendments to the Constitution. I believe that a changed America is going to come from a changed heart and a changed life by Jesus Christ. That's what's going to change America. And that's what only thing will change your life as it changed mine and continues to change mine. Research shows that the majority of unsearched people are not antagonistic towards the church. They've never been invited. They're not antagonistic towards what goes on in the church, but they've never invited anyone. You know, we, the church, have mobilized and flexed our political muscle because we want to be heard. We want our candidates to know what we want. Why don't we flex our missionary muscle and become Jesus to a self-destructing culture? Why don't we show Jesus to a dying world? Let me put it another way. Are you becoming Jesus to your next-door neighbor? When you walk out with that trash can in the morning, does the next door neighbor look at you or hide because of the fights and arguments you've had? Or does he see Christ? When are we going to stop showing partiality and realize that Christ came for everyone? 
The scripture says God so loved the world. That's inclusive. That's all inclusive. We need men like Philip. We need men like Stephen. We need men and women who have such a passion for God or passion for the Lord that they want to carry the gospel into a pioneer territory, and that pioneer territory might be your neighborhood. That pioneer territory might even be your household. We need people to be a challenge to the prejudices that have existed for so long. Men and women who dare to be different a peculiar people, set apart by God. People who want to stand up for righteousness and allow the Holy Spirit to lead them, to guide them. You know, revival begins with a single heart towards God. A heart that knows no prejudice, a heart that is not puffed up, a heart that knows the joy of salvation. People are waiting for someone to tell them about Jesus Christ. People are just waiting to tell them about Jesus Christ. And even though Samaria was not Philip's choice, once he was there, he was so full of love that Christ had given him, that he could not stop telling people about Christ. His power came from a heart of love for his Savior. That's where his power came from. Before he knew it, he was in the midst of revival. Now, we would all like to see a revival happen. I'm sure all of us would love to see another great awakening before the Lord comes. I'm sure it's in everyone's heart. But revival doesn't start with the word we. Revival starts with the word I or me. That's what revival starts with. Restart, revival starts in the heart of one person. And then a revival becomes contagious. Revival has to start in my heart. I must be sold out for Christ. I must have a passion for Him. I must put away my desires to be exalted, to be raised up, to be somebody. I must put away my thoughts of success and look to Christ. You know, we studied chapter 3 in the Gospel of John on Wednesday night. Jesus clearly says to Nicodemus, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, and whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then later on in chapter 12, Jesus proclaims, If I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men to me. We don't need any more men and women lifted up. We need Jesus to be lifted up. In the book by Leonard Ravenhill, it's called Revival God's Way. There's this really, really wonderful, poignant poem that I'd like to leave you with today. It was written by Mrs. A.A. A. Worthington. It's called Not I, But Christ. I'm going to leave you with this today. Not I, but Christ be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ be seen, be known, be heard. Not I, but Christ in every look and action. Not I, but Christ in every thought and word. Not I, but Christ to gently soothe in sorrow. Not I, but Christ to wipe the falling tear. Not I, but Christ to lift the weary burden. Not I, but Christ to hush away all fear. Christ, only Christ, no idle word e'er falling. Christ, only Christ, no needless bursting sound. Christ, only Christ, no self-important bearing. Christ, only Christ, no trace of I be found. Not I, but Christ, my every need supplying. Not I, but Christ, my strength and health to be. Christ, only Christ, for body, soul, and spirit. Christ, only Christ, live then thy life in me. Christ, only Christ, ere long with my, with, will fill my vision. Glory excelling soon, full soon I'll see. Christ, only Christ, my all in all to be. You are assured. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AssureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AssureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Assure Hope.